So journey through life is real. Each of you in this meeting this morning has got a story line, a, a journey that you've been on. I don't know everybody personally this morning. There's some new faces here this morning, which is always wonderful in our church to have people visiting. And as Kirby said, we'd love visitors to turn into stayers because um, it is a family and you're most welcome to join us. Um, and I've forgotten why I was saying that, um, other than the fact that I'm excited to be here. Um, the journey through life is is really interesting and, and why we do things, like why have you come to church? Why have I chosen this or why have I chosen that? And I think when it comes to faith in Jesus, it's really easy to um, present him um, because of the benefits of knowing him. In other words, um, we might preach a message and we do an altar call at the end where the person's invited to give their heart to Jesus. It's sort of a response to, well, I want the peace of God. I need peace, so I'm going to respond to Jesus because I need peace or whatever a perceived need that we have. And I started this message and by reading Matthew chapter 10, I mentioned that before, and found myself a little perplexed around the issue of peace as I read that because Jesus sends his disciples out in this chapter, Matthew 10, starting at the beginning. It says he called the disciples to himself and gave them authority to do some things. Then he sent them out with nothing. He said, don't take anything with you. You can stay in places. And when you go to a house, knock on the door. And if people welcome you, and that's a very uh, Middle Eastern tradition, that when a stranger turns up on your doorstep towards the end of the day, you are expected to invite them in and invite them to stay for the evening. Feed them and bed them uh, and send them on their way or let them stay as long as they want to stay. There's kind of a, there's a hospitality issue there. And so Jesus says to them, if you go to a house and they welcome you, go there and give them your peace. So he's, he's saying that they've, been, they've got peace with them like a commodity. They carry it. But if they don't welcome you, take your peace back and leave. It's like bringing a bunch of flowers, put them on the counter when you get there. And if they don't give you a good meal and don't look after you, pick up your flowers and go home and go somewhere else. It's kind of the picture I get. It's like peace is this, this stuff they've got, but it's really important to understand where they get it from and where they got it from. And it starts in verse 1. Jesus gathered them to himself. Peace is not something you and I have apart from Jesus. If we want peace, we've got to have Jesus. And one of the dilemmas I have um, around altar calls and, and leading people to a point where they receive Christ is, and I would be have to say I'm guilty of this over the last years of being a pastor, that we want to minimise by conversation or we overlook emphasising, I should say, probably the more positive way, when you meet Jesus, you are changed. It's all out with the old, bam, in with the new. It's like, it's not like, oh, can I just have a little bit of peace mixed in? Or can I just get a little bit of shame and guilt taken off my life? I'll come to church and I'll sing the songs and I'll listen to the message and I'll respond to Jesus. But I, what that says to me is, somehow or other, we've got to take the bull by the horns, so to speak, and say, you can't get God's peace in your life on your terms. Let me say that again. You and I can't get God's peace in our lives on our terms. It comes to us on his terms. And I want to unpack where I get that line of thinking from in a moment. So the realisation of just how desperately broken our lives condition is in relation to God is not possible without an encounter with Jesus. There's this 
The reality is that we are so lost without him. The reality is we are so separated from God without faith in Christ. A, a person, however, can't see what they can't see. A person can't see they need God if they can't see God. They, they can't see a need for God or they can't see a need for being saved from their sin if they don't actually think they're a sinner or there's anything wrong with what they're doing. And We oftentimes, therefore, preach messages that are talking about complying to a whole bunch of moral expectations. And if we preach a message of moral expectation, we'll get a response of moral expectation. And that is a roadway to disaster because we end up becoming religious and then condemning people for not following the pattern properly. No, no, what people need to come to is Jesus. People need to come to a guy, his name's Jesus, a person, the God of heaven and earth. We come to a person, it's a relationship, it's a relationship that changes us. I can say very clearly, my relationship with Julie has changed me. She's the closest person to me on planet earth and I can say without a shadow of a doubt, I am not the person I would be standing in front of you if I'd never met her. She's changed me. Jesus will change you. And I think, as I've reflected on this message, I'm and wondering what Jesus is up to in Matthew chapter 10. I think he's saying something really important to us about how important it is that we get our head on and get into our head. When I come into your life, when you make a decision to follow Jesus, get ready to be changed. Get ready to be completely changed. It's not a soft option. It's not like, I'll oh, just have a little bit of that. It's a bit like putting some salt and pepper on a steak. It's like, do you want salt or pepper or not? No, I don't like them. I won't have that. Well, can I just have a little bit of peace? Can I have a little bit of freedom? Can I have a little bit of hope? Can I have a little bit of this? It doesn't work like that. In his goodness, God appears to me to let us have some of that stuff. And we're not good brothers and sisters in Christ if we don't say, well, hang on a minute. Why don't we not have little dibbles and dabbles of that stuff, why not get peace to live in there? And how does that come? Through Jesus Christ. So trying to convince someone who does not know God that um, they need to know him is almost futile. It's like, yeah, it is futile. Um, Paul mentions wise and persuasive words won't cut it. And uh, so a message that's crafted by a, a good preacher that's kind of trying to convince you here to respond to God's love is, in my view, cutting. It's actually falling short of the mark. What I would hope preaching does in our church on every occasion is starts to drill down into the heart of the matter where, where, where your feelings live. You'll notice that Julie... Uh, as she was talking about some of those why questions with me, she actually made a statement along the lines of, I can't put, can't put words to it. That's a dimension of why. You try to think about why you do something and, and you'll find it difficult to put words to it because why comes out of a part of the mind that is um, processed very differently than logic. So anyway, Paul goes on to say this. He says, For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's it. That's the gospel. Jesus, the Son of God, crucified. That, that event, that event explained, that event unpacked is enough to cause a massive change inside of every human heart. The problem is, I think we've come to expect that God's going to visit us with peace. He's going to visit us with freedom. He's going to visit us with a sense of well-being, which we want to have. 
We have a sense we need those things, but we don't have a sense of the fact that we need to be actually transplanted out of a kingdom of darkness into a kingdom of light. At prayer meeting on Wednesday night, I had a picture as we were praying through this chapter as a church, I had a picture of being in the dentist chair and having a tooth pulled out. And the fact that it's actually a pretty painful exercise. I had a touth pulled out in the ear and this big dentist, um, Mount Parker, he couldn't move this suck of a tooth. He had to cut it up and you know, slide into four pieces and get the bits and pieces out of my jaw. But I'm really grateful that I live in the 21st century because as they started that process, they put this thing on my tooth and started giving it a push and a pull. And Can you feel anything? Yep. Oh, bit of another needle. And I hate needles. I think I had six anaesthetic needles going around. It's like, oh, it's just gross. But at the end of the day, it was beautiful. I couldn't feel a thing. And I'm wondering whether we want to have an anaesthetized moment with Jesus. Wonder whether we're so afraid of pain, so concerned about what might be dug out of our soul, that we're expecting an anaesthetic to get put in, whereas Jesus unfortunately for us, is a little more brutal than that Um, because he is a lion. He's not a tomcat or a little tiny pussy, little pussycat, fluffy thing running around. He's the lion of Judah. He's got this. He's going to get a hold of the human heart that opens the door to him and shifts some stuff. Anyone say amen to that? So I came to you in weakness and with great fear and trembling. This is a preacher talking. Believe me, that's how it feels up here sometimes. It's like, Lord, I don't know what's coming out of my mouth. The people are looking like they're either going to sleep or they're losing their way or they've gone back to playing on their Facebook or whatever at church. It's like, God, help me. It's like, no, this is a moment of transformation. But I come, with, he says, with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise or persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith may not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. My question is, what is that power? How does it come to an unbeliever or to a pre-Christian? What is that power? And I would say to you in the years gone by, because that's in the first part of 1 Corinthians, and 1 Corinthians 12 has a big unpackaging of the gifts of the Spirit, that I have had the benefit of reading chapter 12, as long as, and at the same time having read chapter 1, and I superimpose my view that the power of the Spirit he's talking about is the spiritual gifts. But that's just part of the story. They definitely are part of the power of the Spirit. But he he answers the question himself, I knew nothing except Christ and him crucified. That's the power of God unto salvation. That moment, picture on that wall over there of Jesus on the cross done by Phil Pringle, that is the moment in history when your life changed. That's the moment in history when your life was like that tooth being ripped out of my jaw, pulled out because it was causing me pain. The picture is what I want you to get in your head. It's like, it's it's bloody, it's painful and it's messy getting tooth pulled out. It's exactly the same when it comes to coming out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. We want it to be sanitized. We want it to be peaceful and nice. Sometimes we've got to understand it's brutal. It's a brutal extraction of being pulled out of the kingdom of darkness and moved over here into the kingdom of light. Anyone say, oh, I want to have some of that? Oh, no. It's like, what, really? Um, And what is amazing is that we can preach about him and talk about him and a human heart will go, actually will go, I do want that. 
I want relief from the pain of living here. What do I have to do? When you've got a toothache, you'll do almost anything to get rid of a toothache. It's like, get that sucker out of my mouth. I don't care what you do. Cut my head off if you have to. It's like, you get that desperate. How desperate are you this morning? How desperate were you when you came to Christ? Were you just wanting a little top-up of good feelings? Or, or it's like, were you backed into a corner? It's like, man, I am in, I'm seriously boxed in here. Something's got to give. And Jesus comes, and he's not this little gentle Jesus, meek and mild, just, let's just tiptoe out of here. Sometimes he's, he needs to do an extraction. It's like, come with me. Oh, that hurts. Over here. Oh, that's still hurting, but oh, it's starting to feel better. It's like, hey, you know what? Story of Jacob, wrestling with God, gets his hip dislocated. He permanently limps for the rest of his days, it says in the Word. He shifted through his wrestling with God from there to there, but he kept on limping. He wasn't healed. He had an impediment for the rest of his days, but he lived out his calling. He had the peace of God. I can guarantee that. He had that sense of God with me. God was with him. We want God to do all sorts of things on our terms, but God's saying, no, no, you've got to do, understand it's going to be on my terms. Anyone go, yep, I'm okay with that. No problem. Ooh, you weren't quiet on me. So what am I trying to paint a picture of here? Have you ever been into a cave? And the cave guide, like a tourist kind of cave, may not be a professional caver for all I know, but in a cave when they say, oh, we're going to give you a little bit of a demonstration, just how dark it is in here. And they flick the lights off and you go, and then it it is as dark, it is so black in there, there's not a skerrick of light, cannot see a thing. That is one thing. And if they put the lights on dim back on in the cave, it's like, oh, thank goodness that. But when you come outside of the cave into the sunlight, it's like, whoa, that is overwhelming. That's the contrast between coming out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light with Jesus Christ. Coming out of the darkness into the kingdom of light. Sorry if you guys feel like this is always the dark side. It's just my right. This is just my left. I'll swap. This is the dark side. This is the light side. Okay. Okay. You guys are a little dark over, little dark over here. You guys are all the light. Yeah, I can see. These guys need you. Anyway. Um, so it's like that, that contrast. Uh, living in, it's like the contrast of living in poverty, squalor and filth, which many people do on planet Earth. They live with nothing. And being transported from that and being placed in a hundred room mansion with flowing water and everything you could possibly want to eat or drink or whatever. There's this massive, you go, well, I get that contrast. I understand poverty and I understand wealth. Well, living in a war zone, surrounded by death and destruction. Living in cities where your next door neighbour's house gets blown up or an apartment building next door no longer exists, got hit by a missile overnight. Friends and neighbours, loved ones, maybe spouses being killed by um, in some war zone. And contrasting that to walking down the streets of Mount Barker on a Saturday night. Or the streets of Adelaide. Or somewhere out in the middle of nowhere in the Flinders Ranges looking at the stars. And there you wouldn't be aware there's another person on the planet. It's just you and the incredible nature that God's put in front of us. It's like the contrast between that and that is massive. Why am I emphasising that? Because I want you to understand that is the contrast between being a person who's lost, not knowing Jesus, and someone who's found him. You're living in such 
such a contrast. And I am ashamed to say, I think oftentimes our churches present a soft gospel that presents coming to Jesus as a bit like putting salt and pepper on your meal. Or we could do that, or we could become a Buddhist, or we could become a bit of a, or let's have a bit of everything religion. Let's just be Unitarian. Let's, let's be like, it's, it is so not that. Coming to Christ is this radical bomb going off in your soul that lifts you out of darkness and death, mortality, and places you into immortality in the kingdom of light. That is a massive change. It is a miracle, and it is something that we need to present clearly to people. You've got options. One is eternity in darkness or eternity with Christ in the light, where you see everything, where you actually... Oh, man, it's just awesome. Anyone say amen to that? So... So some of this revelation to me about how big the change is between knowing Christ and not is a bit of a brutal discussion point internally. Like just how much different am I to the person next door who doesn't know Jesus? Have I got a better attitude? Have I got a better outlook in life? Have I got a positive word to say? Do I get still tied up in knots about what's going on around the world? Or am I kind of living in another zone? And uh, I, I would very carefully say, shamefully, that there are times when I'm thinking, I actually need to get woken up again. I need to get shaken up again by the reality I live in this incredibly light, life-filled kingdom that God has built and he's invited me into it. I need to be transformed. I need to understand what's going on. I need to be convicted and convinced that my friends and family who are not living there have got a significant problem. They haven't got an optional extra add salt to the steak kind of issue. Oh, just come to church. It's like, we'll see what happens. It's like, we don't have to confront people with a... We're not into scare tactics. This is not what this message is about. People who got saved because they are afraid of going to hell, that's problematic. That's not, God doesn't want us to get saved because we're afraid of going to hell. He wants us to get saved because we understand he loves us, that he died for us, that we mean something to him. It's not a rescue mission because the options are bad. It's a rescue mission because the option of being with him is the best thing you could possibly choose. So as Christians, we, we want to make sure we understand the gospel that we've got. The gospel is good news for eternal life with God. It just happens to be that means getting ripped out of the kingdom of darkness. Who thinks that's good? It just means getting ripped out of the kingdom of sickness. Not always here on planet Earth, but eventually there's going to be a day there's no tears in heaven. There's no sickness or disease. It's like there's this place we're going to end up in. So, what's your why at the moment? You might be thinking, oh, okay, this is, you're just changing gears here. Um, our why needs to shift. Like, why would you share your faith? Why would you ask somebody to consider following Jesus? Is it because you've got a story about salt and pepper? Just adding some flavor to your life? Well, I go to church and it's great. Just no, no. You need to follow Jesus because he will radically change you on the inside. You'll become something brand new. You know, what do you mean? What I mean is you'll be a person who finds it a lot easier to forgive people when they offend you. You become a person who actually doesn't hold grudges. You'll be a person who gets over problems. You'll be a person who lives in victory even when you're not getting a breakthrough. When things are going bad, you're not saying, oh, this is a bad lot. You're going, this is, this is bad, not denying it, but you know what? God's got a purpose here. Things are going south for me, my business, my marriage, my kids, whatever. It's like, 
but it's not over until he says it's over. I'm a person who believes in God, and I keep stepping into it. We've got to understand the gospel is a gospel of victory and breakthrough, but that doesn't mean that we actually get what we want when we want it. It just means that we say, <laughs> we have the faith place that goes, you know what, in, in spite of the circumstance I'm in at the moment, God is in charge. Because the Bible's not going to lie to me. When I give my life to him, I'm in his kingdom. And his kingdom, sure as heck, might appear to be a little obscured by your circumstance at the moment, but that's the point of faith. That's the point of going, I'm going to keep believing. I'm going to keep believing God's with me. So why would you share your faith? Have you ever really really thought about that? Just let that one hang for a minute. Um, What was your why for receiving Jesus when you did? When you became a Christian, why did you do that? What was said? What is it that's in that part of your journey that maybe is not the full story and you've actually moved into a different part of your relationship with Christ and that's the, that, that why should be now informing your what, what you do with people. So my why for loving Julie has changed over 40 years, which means the what is different. We do different things than we did. We got different dreams when we were... 40 years ago, we were dreaming about having a family. Well, God's given us a family. We've got kids, they've got amazing spouses, and we've got phenomenal grandkids. That's all now been and gone, so to speak. It's like, well, what's next? Different why. Just a different season. Different season of the journey. Different why. Different why. Different wife. No, I did not say that. I was watching a program about the strange English language where we say, like, wife and why, with W-H is pronounced as like a why. So I just need a, a why. Yeah, okay. Why. Ah, uh, dear. Um, let me ask you this question this morning. What was your reason for coming to church? If you had been presented a legalistic gospel, you'd feel obligated to go to church for legalistic reasons. Just saying as an example. I'm not saying that's where you're at at all. But what I'm saying is, we got to be careful, and I want us to be careful. I want us to present Jesus to people. They come to church because, man, I just want to hang out with the body of Christ. We've got people who know what that means. The body of Christ is Jesus' body on earth. That's us. So I was like, well, do I have to go to church? Well, that's a bit like asking a foot to be connected to the leg. No, you don't have to be. You can be cut off if you want to be. But it's messy and it's awkward and it's like a foot by itself is a waste of breath. The foot needs to be attached to a leg. So why would you stay home? Oh, so I don't have to be. Well, no, you don't have to be. That's not the point at all. The point is you understand that you need to be. I'm part of the body. So we come together. So my question is to you again, why do you come to church? Why do you keep coming to church? Or why did you stop going to church if you did that at some point in your journey? These are all questions that are really good questions to ask yourself because they would help you to locate where you're at with regards to the kingdom. So here's a little statement I thought to write. You can write this one down. This, is, this one's freebie. It's probably not original because there's nothing new under the sun. Jesus did not come for our comfort. He came for our eternity. Let me say that he did not come for our comfort, even though he's a comforter. Even though he does comfort us, he didn't come for that. That's a byproduct. He came for our eternity. He wants us to understand he's paid for. I would think he's pretty short-changed on that cross 2,000 years ago if he died for me to live a peaceful life for 60 years. It's like, 
He didn't die for me to live a peaceful life for 60 years. He died so I could be with him forever. And you, forever. It was a pretty miserable death he, he uh, endured, but it was so that we could be with him forever. And I reckon it short changes what he did if I just expected to be, well, that's, an, a, that's a bonus we don't really know about, but at the moment I just want peace, Lord. No, no, no. Oh, yeah, I went, okay, you get my drift. So what have we got? Um. Hebrews 4, verses 12 and 13 says this, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart, not mind. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before his eyes, before the eyes, sorry, of him to whom we must give an account. The word of God is alive and active. What is that? What's the word of God? The word of God is Jesus. He is the word, the Logos. He's the word of God. So when we, we read that, um, it's, and it's sharper than any two-edged sword, the sword of the Spirit is the word of God. The word of God is Jesus. All the imagery and the language of the, of the Bible, we need to think through and get help reading commentaries and other scholastic material to help us get an accurate picture of what the Bible is actually saying to us. Meditation on your own with Jesus and the Holy Spirit in that sense of the word, absolutely. He can guide you into all truth, it says in the Scripture. You don't need to actually find scholarly help. I found it helpful personally, but the reality is you've got to get the pictures lining up. So when we hear about the sword of the Spirit in the New Testament, understand we're talking about the Word of God. If we're talking about the Word of God, we're talking about Jesus. We're not talking about a sword that you'd hold in your hand. We're talking about a person. You and I are meant to present Jesus to people. That's not like, oh, you need to meet Jesus. It's like, well, Jesus would come to an Aislinn Beatty through being loving, kind, compassionate, caring, etc. There's a sense in which we, the what is worked out of understanding the who. And the who is Jesus Christ. He is the one that we present. Um, so just uh, say with me, the word of God. Is the sword of God. And the word of God is Jesus. Okay, he's the word. So let me just go back now and finish this message off in Matthew chapter 15, uh, 10, Matthew chapter 10, starting at verse 34. So this is Jesus talking to his disciples. Do not suppose that I've come to bring peace on the earth. It's like, what? Huh? It's like, do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. But didn't the angels say, peace on earth, good will to all men, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem? Doesn't Isaiah say he's the prince of peace? It's like, um, are you a little confused? Because I am. Do not suppose that I've come to bring peace to the earth. It's like, okay, well, I better keep reading because so far I'm not making sense. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. Wow. I don't know about you, but I find that scripture a little bit kind of confusing. And then it goes on to be even more confusing. When Jesus makes you feel confused, take heart. It means something's going to have to happen because you're going to have to go, I don't get this, Lord, help me. And he will. For I have not, sorry, verse 35, for I have come to turn a man against his father, 
Hey, whoa, whoa, hey, wait, what? Um, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Um, now, historically, we could show that that series of statements has come to pass in some families over the history of the church, over 2,000 years. But I don't believe that, having said that, that Jesus intends for that to mean, when I give my life to Jesus, I've got to hate my dad. Or if you're a female, you've got to turn your back on your sister or your mother or your mother-in-law. It's like, he doesn't mean that. It's not a prescriptive prophetic word about what's to come. I think what Jesus is trying to relay to us is just how great a transformation it is. When you know him, your father, your earthly father's connection with you will pale into insignificance compared to the relationship with him. It's not to say that one is bad, even if it is, but it's not, to, it's not a comparison issue and it's not a prescriptive issue. It's a, um, a use of words and phraseology that sort of grates so badly on the inside that you go, well, hang on, what's that talking about? And it's talking about the sword of the Spirit. It's talking about having things removed from priority in our life in order for us to pursue what it is that God has given us to do. And so, for I have come to turn a man against his father. He's saying that there's going to be this shift. He's emphasizing the shift between not knowing him and knowing him. And it's not just knowing him, it's the shift between not having Jesus as your Lord and Savior to the shift of having him as your Lord and Savior. The picture of the sword is Jesus coming into your life, coming into my life, coming into a heart coming into a circumstance, coming into a family. And you might be thinking this morning, our family could do with a, a, just with a puff of peace. Wouldn't it be awesome to have Jesus just breathe his peace into our family because, you know, stuff going on. And the Bible says to you right now, if that's what you've got a need for, he didn't come to give peace. It's like, what do you mean? I come to church, I need peace. No, no, you came to church because you need him. He's the guy that is peace. We somehow or other have been, in my view, uh, allowed to get away with some flawed thinking, and we do get flawed thinking, just the way we're wired, that I can have the peace, but not understand who it comes with. It's the sword. What's the sword do? When you read the word about the sword, not only we emphasised about the spirit, I mean the word of God being Jesus and the, the word being the sword, etc. So their word pictures about the what. Um, but the other thing I didn't say back in that moment in time in the message was this. In the Middle East, to this day, when it's referred to that so-and-so was put to the sword, we have pictures of Zorro um, in Hollywood movie style, someone being pierced with a sword. New, the Middle Eastern terminology of someone being put to the sword, so James, the brother of John, says in the book of Acts, was put to the sword by Herod. That means he had his head cut off. And to this day, barbaric Middle Eastern people will still cut a head off with a sword. That's what it's, what it's used. It's not, it's not a running through. It's not piercing the heart. Chop the head off. So when Jesus says, I've come to bring a sword, he's talking about 
taking headship out of your life. The headship of unforgiveness. Unforgiveness needs to go. He's taking the headship of hard-heartedness out. He's taking the the head. This little head pops up, self-righteous. Self-righteousness. I've noticed self-righteousness is rank in our community. People are so quick to get on, self, on social media to throw rocks at other people. Where does that come from? It's a little, ugly little head of self-righteousness. Jesus, the sword, came to cut that sucker off. People want to have peace, but they don't want to give up self-righteousness. They don't want to give up unforgiveness. They don't want to give up, I'm my own man. They don't want to give up the thought, I'm a self-made millionaire. Listen, the sword's come to put the sword to, take the head off, everything that sets itself up in opposition to God in my life. But I continue to get on my knees and weep and wail and cry, oh God, just give me peace, God help me. In the meantime, he's just saying, just waiting, Bruce, for you to let me to bring the sword in. you just got a few poppies that have popped up there. Little heads. They're little flowers. They look sweet, but they're actually poisoning you and they need to get chopped off. Anyone say amen to that? Anyone feeling comfortable about getting some heads cut off? It's not about killing you. It's about killing stuff in you that's killing you. Let me say, it's about killing stuff in you that is killing you. He doesn't want you to die. He wants you to live forever. So his agenda is not to kill you. In that sense of the word, his, his agenda is to kill that stuff so that you can have peace so that you can have healing, so that you and I can actually be a blessing to people, so you and I can walk into a room and things change because we bring in not just his peace. Oh, I carry the peace of God. No, no, I carry Jesus, who is the Prince of Peace. I hope this is helping someone because it's helped me to just get a little passionate. We need the fire, the fire of God. Who are we preaching? Jesus. What are we preaching? A gospel of salvation. How do we do that? We understand that things have got to go. And yes, we, we, we don't judge people. We just help them to find him who chops their heads off things that we, they don't need. So an encounter with Jesus will so radically changes us in the arena of our why. It's breathtaking. It is totally breathtaking. Can I ask you to stand to your feet? Second Corinthians chapter five verse seventeen says, "If anyone is in Christ, they are a brand new creation. The old has gone, and the new has come." I want to ask you: Does does that truly, in your heart of hearts, describe you? You might have been walking with Jesus for many, many years. In the heart of what I've said in this message this morning, and I'm talking to myself as much to anybody else here. I know because I know. I let little, little sprouts of self-interest, little sprouts of insecurity, little sprouts of unforgiveness, little sprouts of fear and anxiety. Just pop the little head up like a little, little plant. There it is. And I find myself, oh, where did that come from? Oh, Lord, give me your peace. Maybe a sword's a bit graphic for you. He says, let's get the lawnmower out. Just cut the top off that thing. Let's just go through your heart of hearts. 
let's take the top off of every little head that's popped up. Maybe something happened to you in the last little while of your life. Maybe you've been squeezed into a corner by circumstance and a little, little sprout of resentment's popped up. Or a little sprout of confusion. Or a little, little sprout of complaining. Or a little sprout of despair and hopelessness. Strange thing is that we can water that sucker. We can feed it. We can look after it. And it begins to develop into a plant substantial in our life. And you say, but I'm a Christian. How can that happen? Well, God doesn't appear to me to stop weeds growing in my garden. It's my job to clean them out. But fortunately for us, he's offered to come as the gardener and do the work, the sword of the Spirit. So can I ask you this morning, as we come to an end of this meeting, and you close your eyes, Have you got any strongholds of thinking, some heads that have established plants that have grown in your heart, that when you think about it and the way I've said what I've said this morning, you've been wanting Jesus to give you a bunch of things, breakthrough, healing, peace, sense of well-being, whatever. And it seems to have eluded you. I'm absolutely convinced oftentimes that's because the enemy has set us up to not see or hear the voice of God saying, let the sword in. Let the sword come. Let's disempower that thing that's grown in your heart. If you're a Christ follower here this morning and you need to let Jesus back into a situation in your life, cut the head off a stronghold of thinking. The good news is he will do that. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, I think it is, says, The weapons of our warfare are mighty. They have divine power to demolish strongholds. That's also talking about swords and other things. God wants to come through your heart. Render those things powerless. And then leave the cloud of peace. Lead a cloud of well-being. Leave a cloud of His presence lingering in your, in your heart, dwelling in your heart. So here's the deal. Some of us standing here right now, we've got a forest grown in our lives because Jesus has never come in. We've never invited Him in to clean our house out. Maybe something that I've said and the way I've said it this morning has helped you to see for the very first time the need to receive Jesus into your life because He will disempower all those things that have got each one of us until we receive Him tied up in knots and sitting in darkness. You can invite Him to come into your life today Mark my words, it'll be a massive change. All those things that were important in one way or another may become completely unimportant to you. But I've got to tell you that the, the quantum leap from that into the kingdom of light is amazing. 
and you find yourself rewired to think other things are important, none the least of which is that Jesus Christ is now my Lord and Saviour. I live for Him. I live for Him and for the benefit of others. If you've never invited Jesus into your life and today's message has made sense to you to open your heart to Him, you need to put your hand up and say, Bruce, that's me. I've not actually heard the gospel preached quite in that manner before or something that's been the way you've said it has helped me to cross over from a place of unbelief to a place of belief. It's helped me to cross over from seeing some strongholds in my life for what they are to what they should be, which is not a stronghold, but a overcome issue. I live in victory. If something about that message today has helped you to see I need to give my life to Jesus I need you to put your hand up as a place of faith and say, that's me, Bruce. I want to receive Christ in my life. Anyone at all? Or maybe, as I've spoken, you've become convicted because the Holy Spirit has been working in your heart through this last 30 minutes. And you'd have to concede to Him that you've let a bit more than a plant grow. You've got a bit of a garden bed full of weeds in your life. You've tried to be a Christ follower. You're trying to live the Christian life. You're trying to do the right thing, but it's all too hard and wearing you out. Not happy with anything. Maybe you've wandered way off course more than you know, and you need to come back to Him today. Open the door of your heart again. Say, Jesus, come in, sword of the Spirit. Lord, I don't want to have peace as an end in itself. I want to have you, and then I'll have your peace. I want to receive Jesus. If you need to come back to him because you've wandered off track, you too can slip your hand up and say, that's me, Bruce. I need to come back to him this morning. I have lost my way and let those weeds grow. Anyone at all? Yeah, God bless you. Thank you. Anyone else? Just let the Holy Spirit just linger in front of you for a moment. Thank you, Lord. Never, ever. Thank you. God bless you. God bless you. Thank you. Never ever open the door of your heart or you're thinking, I need to do it again because I truly have made a fist of it lately. Anyone else can slip their hand up today? God bless you. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. God is so good. Just wait another moment. Beautiful. Thank you, Lord. There's a wonderful, wonderful anointing in this meeting right now. How do I know that? Because some softened hearts have indicated to me that they mean serious business with God. That's the Holy Spirit at work right there. So all we're going to do is we're going to pray a prayer together, standing right where we are. Don't need anyone to come forward. But I want us to all pray this prayer after me. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you sent your Son, Jesus Christ, the Word of God, who is also a sword, to come into our lives, to take care of business, destroying strongholds of thinking, and things that set themselves up in my life to oppose your purpose and plan. Lord, I receive you 
Therefore, I also receive your peace. I confess my sin to you. Thank you that you've forgiven me. And I declare I'm cleansed. I am now your child. I can walk with you. And I'll be filled with the Spirit. And walk with you all the days of my life. To your glory and the extension of your kingdom. In his name. Amen. Come on, give the Lord a clap offering this morning. Thank you, Lord. Wow. That is, wow, that's just wow. Awesome.